Hey everyone, welcome to the Threadcast. Ryan Smith here, pastor at Common Thread Church. Hope that your week has gone well. We had a great uh, time in our Zoom room this past Sunday as a church. Uh, it was just meant to be a time of just catching up, checking in, and just hearing from each other. I think it, it was real powerful. Um, and if you missed it, I'm sorry for that. Uh, but every third Sunday of the month, we're going to start doing that where we don't go Facebook Live and we're just going to have uh, some conversations and just seeing where everybody's at and loving on each other. So I encourage you to join us when you can on those those Sundays. Um, so we're in this series, this summer series right now. Um, it's scorching 86 degrees in, in England where they're about to die from heat. So uh, they are definitely in the summer there. Um, but <laughs> um, we are we're in the midst of this, this campfire story series, um, Hebrews 11. Bunch of stories about faith, and uh, sometimes it's called the superheroes of faith chapter, where uh, just people that are held up as examples of what it means to have faith. And we've been walking through different stories um, of examples of faith in there, and kind of being challenged by each unique one, and um, giving ourselves something to think about in our own walk with faith. Um, what does faith mean? And today, um, today we have a first. Today is our first woman. Um, that we're going to discuss. And there's not a lot in this chapter, and we can talk about that at another time as to why and all that kind of stuff. But uh, today uh, is is the woman named Sarah, uh, who started off with the name Sarai, um, S-A-R-A-I, and then eventually her name is changed to Sarah. And if you didn't know that, um, I'm not going over that today, but I encourage you to kind of look at those two differences and to maybe why God did that. I think there's some really neat things in that story. But today we're going to look at Sarah as a, as a challenge to what it means to have faith. And today's title is called, Faith is Trust in a Promise. Um, and I'm going to tell you today, this is, today is one of those where um, what really makes this story is not what's said. Um, and I don't mean that we're going to go off on the deep end and fill in blanks and stuff like that. What I need you to do today is I'm not going to spend a lot of time in telling the story of Sarah, or at least the specific parts about her. Um, we'll talk a little about it. But what I want to challenge you to do is to try to put yourself in her shoes, um, especially us men. It's going to be harder, um, but I, but to challenge yourself to to view this her story through her eyes, through her emotions, through her joys, through her pains, through her struggles. Because that's not really mentioned in here. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 11, she only gets really one verse. Um, but I think what's not spoken is the true story in this. Um, and it's that concept with it that gets us to the title, Faith is Trust and a Promise. Um, so let's start off in Hebrews 11. 11, 11 is where she's mentioned. It says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so she has this faith um, in a promise, right? And God's promise. Um, pretty pretty interesting kind of tidbit there. Um, and so I want us to, this starts all the way back when we talked about Abraham. And so in Abraham, in Abraham, in Genesis 12, uh, 1, actually the story of Abraham and Sarah actually covers uh, chapters 12 through 21-ish, maybe a little 22-ish, 
21-ish in, in Genesis. Um, and if you haven't read that story in its entirety, I encourage you to do so. And I'm going to tell you right now, Abraham and Sarah are messed up people. Their story is crazy. It doesn't make sense. They're not people that we would hold up as to say, hey, look at these righteous people. As a matter of fact, if they had Instagram, Facebook today, they would be shunned. They would not be a part of God's church um, in a lot of ways, which is sad, right? Um, and that's not something we condone, but that's something uh, just kind of a reality is is they were real. And I think that's just a, a testimony in and of itself that, that people like that are still considered to be our heroes. And that should give us some something to pause and think about. And so, in Hebrews 12, 1, um, Abraham, God comes to Abraham, and he challenges him, and he says, you know what? Hey, um, I want you to leave Ur. Remember when we circled that little place on the map? I want you to leave Ur, take your family, and I just want you to go. And he says, I'll make you into a great nation. And I believe, um, this is Brian's interpretation, but I believe when God said, I will make you into a great nation, that I, would, if I was Abraham, I would imply that that means becoming a great nation is partly doing so. That means I'm going to have a great family. There was no reason to not think so at the time. Um, he's a young buck. He's got his wife. Um, they're, they're newlyweds in a sense. Um, they're getting ready to go on this great journey. And if I'm going to follow you, God, and you're calling me into a great nation, it means I'm going to be a king. And usually kings have sons and daughters and, and family. And so to me, when I hear I'm going to make you into a great nation, it's not just that I'm going to make you uh, the king of a nation or, or the president or whatever it might be, but I'm going to make the whole package for you. That would be my interpretation. That would be what I was thinking if I was Abraham. I don't know about you. And so he begins his journey, and I don't know his exact age um, at this time, but he, I think they're young. I think I think it's early on in their life. Um, and so he begins to follow God, and, and Sarah goes with him. Um, we don't get him much as to how Sarah feels about this, whether she's um, sad about leaving her family or what she knows, but we know that Sarah goes with him. And it's really this concept, you know, I, I think it, it's also implied, you know, especially for us now, is that if I follow you, God, you're going to bless me. Things are going to be good. Um, things are going to be great, and, and, and I'm going to trust you, God, right? And, and, and that's, that's kind of part of the deal, is that we're told if we give our lives to God, um, things are going to be great. Um, it's going to be perfect. If you read 12 through 21, you're going to see it gets a little messy, a little dicey, a little crazy, um, nutso stuff. Um, that we would never be tolerated today. But um, if you keep reading, there's a, there's this comment where it says, later on, uh, Abraham recognizes, you know what? Um, God, I've been following you for several years now, several, several years, um, and I don't have any sons. Um, I'm, I don't have any sons yet. I don't have any descendants. And that's how a great nation is formed, God, if you didn't happen to know that. I have to have kids to, to, to keep this kingdom, this legacy going. And I ain't got none, God. What you doing? And God kind of um, talks to him and says, no, 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 no. Oh, no. Oh, no. God, Abraham, you're going to have sons. And this is where, if you remember in the story where God takes Abraham out at night. Oh, man, I can't imagine what this would have been like. To I love looking at the stars, but <clears throat> God takes Abraham out at night. They look at all the stars, and Abraham says, your descendants are going to be as numerous as these stars. Um, it's like Abraham's like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. And, and I'm going to have to say, I also believe, 
um, that when Abraham has these conversations with God, that they don't stay between Abraham and God. I think that, that Abraham would have gone and shared these stories with Sarah because Sarah was his partner. We see that in a lot of ways. Um, we see that um, they do things together. So I'd imagine Abraham shared this moment. Um, and, and, you know, because I bet Sarah's getting a little antsy as well and not having kids yet. Oh, no, no. Hey, you will not believe what God just told me tonight, Sarah. I mean, we, <laughs> we are going to be a baby factory. You know, <laughs> all these things are going on. Um, but time passes as you keep reading and chapter, you know, in the chapters and Abraham and Sarah are still waiting. I think about this time, Sarah, I think is in my guess is feeling the pressure, right? The fresh, you know, the pressure to produce, right? Hey, uh, maybe, maybe we're not having babies because it's me, right? Um, Maybe it's my fault. Maybe the things I'm doing, you know, maybe it's not, not going right, you know. Um, and, and so she makes this statement, you know what? You know, when things aren't going our way, we start kind of talking for God at times, right? And she says, you know what? The Lord has prevented me um, from having babies. You know, it's, it's the Lord's doing, obviously, because, you know, um, nothing else could have happened, right? Um, so so the Lord must mean that I'm not supposed to give Abraham babies, and so she looks at her slave. Um, she has a, a, a lady slave, and she says, "Hey, why don't Abraham? Why don't you? Why don't you sleep with her? Have a baby with her? And that's you know God's still going to do His thing here, and all this kind of stuff." And so, so Sarah begins to make up how God is going to fulfill this promise. Um, now, you know it's not completely unusual back in those days for a man to sleep with his slaves and his servants and. To have multiple wives, right? And that's a whole other discussion about why God allows us that kind of stuff. Um, but um, she, he does. He's like, eh, okay, you know, if you're going to let me sleep with her, I'm down, you know. And they end up get, having a baby, and uh, they call him Ishmael. And 10 years passes from that time. And so we get that Abraham is around 86 years old when all this happens. Um, and if you can imagine at this time, kind of start filling the blanks, you know, Ishmael grows up um, with with uh, his mom and Abraham. You know, Abraham loves Ishmael. You know, he, 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 he dotes on him. He plays sports with him. He, he teaches him all the things. He eats at the table, right? And if you're Sarah... You know what that must have felt like—that you you knew that God promised you something, and and that it that it's being fulfilled through someone else that has shared my my husband, right? Um, and just the pain and the agony, um, and the struggle and the heartache and the anger—all those things. But nowhere in Scripture do we ever see that that Sarah necessarily completely turns on God. Um, we don't know day in, day out what was going through her mind, but to wrestle with, to see, have a daily reminder as you look at this boy who looks so much like the man you love, but you have no connection to, right? Um, but yet you probably still had to treat him as your own child. You know What that must have felt like. But years pass, and we get in the story that around... The age of 99, Abraham 99, and so that would have made Sarah 98. She was one year younger than, than Abraham. Um, there's still no son between Sarah 
and Abraham. And, and at this point, even though they lived at longer ages back then, being 99, being 100 years old, that is still beyond childbearing age. No one had, you know, you were, you're considered a, a closed womb. You know, it's beyond measure. And so, um, so they haven't had any sons. They haven't had any women, any, any daughters, right? And I would imagine Abraham and Sarah are still pretty upset. The guy says, oh, no, no, no. You're going to have many sons. Um, and, and not just me, you're going to have one a year from now. And and Sarah is told this, and she laughs, and God holds her, says, why are you laughing at me, you know? Uh, why, why is this going on? But a year from then, Sarah finally, they finally get pregnant, and Sarah has has Isaac. I'm going to read to you, because I think this is important. This is where um, Sarah's response after she has Isaac, I think is what allows us to see why she's in Hebrews 11. In Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At that very time, at the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him and God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And so if you don't know, Isaac is this, it means, you know, one who laughs. And the reason they're laughing is because how ridiculous is it that God is going to fulfill his promise so late in life, right? Um, but she says, God has brought me laughter, right? So there is this, this idea, there is this still, that, that in that, you know, maybe let's say that they were 20 years old when they first are told to leave or maybe they're 30. So either an 80 or 70 year time frame from when they hear a promise or they hear hints of a promise to when it's finally fulfilled. You know, and she still has the faith to say, God, God is the one who did this, right? And we, we, I want us to be honest about this story because the story, we, we didn't fill in all the blanks because Abraham and I, and I, Abraham and Sarah, during during these uh, 70, 80 years, man, they made some stupid mistakes. They did some dumb stuff. They tried to to, to plan out for God how he was going to fulfill all this, right? Um, as a matter of fact, um, in uh, in Galatians, we, we get this part. In Galatians 4, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of the divine promise. And here we get the explanation that what Sarah did with her slave and giving her to Abraham was not God's plan. But yet God still kept his promise. And even though they screwed it up, and even though they did this thing, actually God honors the the woman, Hagar, and God honors Ishmael, and God honors Abraham, and God honors Sarah, but he still keeps his promise, even though we would have said they messed up so much, right? Um, 
And so this is what happens, is that Sarah is, is, is told in Hebrews, that, we're, that she is in Hebrews, uh, a hero of faith because she trusted God's promise. Now, I think there's a few qualifications that we need to um, talk about um, when we think about God's promise, right? Um, and here's the thing. I'm not going to get into how do we know what God's promise is for us specifically. Uh, we talked a little bit about that last week and, and discerning hearing God. I think there's maybe specific promises that maybe we receive, but then there's these general promises that, are, that we read in Scripture. All those, right? They, they, there's still those that we, we cling to, that we hold on to. But I think in the story of, of Sarah and Abraham, we get four qualifications that we need to think through um, when we're thinking about what it means to be faithful and trusting that God is going to keep his promise. And the first qualification is temporal. Is that, is that when we think of God's promise and him fulfilling his promise, we have to understand the temporal side of it, the qualification of the temporal, the, the, the qualification of time, that God fulfilling his promise is not always immediate, right? I mean, Sarah and Abraham had to wait, what, 60, 70, 80 years um, for God to keep his promise. And so, you know, if, if I have to wait a month on a promise that I think God owes me or uh, two months or six months or heaven forbid three years or whatever it might be, you know, I begin to think, you know, what is going on, right? But we have to recognize that God sees time completely different and that he has a bigger picture than we could ever imagine. And so we have to understand that God looks at the temporal side of his promise very differently than we do. The other thing we have to think about is the procedural side. Um, God does not always fulfill his promise in the easiest way possible. As a matter of fact, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, um, we see that God mostly uses adversity in fulfilling his promise. Um, as a part of the equation of fulfilling his promise, adversity is a part of it. As a matter of fact, there's, there's passages in, in, in the New Testament that talk about perseverance, endurance, that those things blossom and, and make something even greater, right? We see the story of the Christ and what he had to go through and, and, and to fulfill the promise of salvation, right? And so the idea that when God makes a promise and we are waiting for him to fulfill it doesn't mean it's going to always be easiest. And so sometimes we think when it becomes hard, I must be doing something wrong or somebody must be sinning or and maybe I did do something wrong, but that doesn't mean that God delays it because we were stupid, right? Um, God didn't delay Isaac because of what they did with Ishmael. It just wasn't the right time yet. Um, and so we have to understand that God's procedures are a little different than ours and that easy is, I want to say never, but easy is not usually the case. The next qualification when we think about the promise is perceptual. And this one's tough because when we hear a promise from God, if you're like me, you begin to fill in the blanks of how God, ooh, this is, this is what it means for God to fulfill that promise in my life. It's going to be this way. I'm going to have this. I'm going to have this. I'm going to have that. And then this is going to happen. And I'm going to do this. And it's going to be tough. But then I'm just going to lead to this, right? And then at the very end, everything is going to be great. You know, there's this procedure, this perception of, of what I think it's going to be like. But God does not promise to fulfill his promise the way we perceive it. 
that he, that we, that he, the way he defines his promise may be different. And so our perception of how he fulfills it um, is challenged. And what do we do with that? That's something we have to wrestle with. And finally, the last one is that the, the fourth qualification is eternal. And this is a tough one, and I, this could be considered a scapegoat, if you will. Um, but I want, I want to qualify here as we talk about this qualification. God's promise um, may not be experienced in our earthly timeline. Now, Sarah experienced the promise of having a child, right? But she did not experience the promise of having generations as big as the stars, right? She didn't have, she, you know, she had to trust that what was said to her was going to be different. And I think that God does fulfill his promise to us in this earthly life. I think that we do experience those things. But, but again, I think if you combine the temporal, the procedural, and the perceptual, that we have to understand that God's fulfillment of a promise may have that eternal feel to it. And that sucks when we're living in the junk and in the muck and the mire, right? That when you're waiting 60, 70 years for that one child, it doesn't make that waiting easy. And I'm not trying to say it does. But again, when we have faith that God keeps his promise, we have to see that that faith is bound not by our lives and by our perception, by our time, by our procedures, but it's bound by the one who gives the promise. And he does not live in the same box that we do, right? Um, and so I don't say these things to say, well, you should just have faith and trust that God's going to keep his promise because God always keeps his promise, so suck it up and and just smile, right? No. I, I imagine, you know, we have, what, 12 through 21, so that's, what, nine chapters of... 80 years, 80 years of waiting for that one child, 80 years of, of 60, 50 years of seeing another child born to your husband and looking like him and acting like him and talking like him, but having nothing to do with you. And those are tough years. And sometimes you, you get ticked off and sometimes you try to do it for God, but he's still gracious and how he loves us. He's still gracious in, in being with us. And, it, and he still will keep his promise. And that's where faith comes in. Is that we trust that he will keep his promise. So we started this series. And we looked at creation in Hebrews 11.1. 1. We challenged ourselves. Ask our, is our view of God large enough? Then we talked about Abel and asked ourselves. Is my faith in God strong enough? And then with Enoch, we, we asked, is my faith in God steady enough? And then Noah, we said, is our faith in God distinct enough? And then with Abraham, we asked if our faith was ready for a journey. And today, this week with Sarah, we asked, is our faith ready to trust a promise from God? Now, we have to begin before we trust that promise, right? We have to find that promise out. Um, and that's where I'll leave that to you to, to wrestle with that. And if you want to talk about that at another time, we can. But that promise that you've heard, that promise that you hold to, do I really trust God? Is my temporal, procedural, perceptual, and eternal 
Am I giving those concepts, those qualifications over to God and what it means to trust him, that he's going to fulfill it in his own time, in his own way, um, whatever steps it might take, and it will look probably different than I could ever imagine. And am I willing to recognize that it might even be beyond my lifetime? Those are tough things. Um, And again, I don't end this with saying um, that faith is easy. Faith is hard. Faith is tough. But we see that people that are considered to be our heroes were idiots <laughs> and did stupid stuff. Things that we would think, man, I would never do that. But God still loved them, still trusted them, still allowed his story to be told through them. And so for us, that is true as well, that we are trusted with an eternal story and that we are called to be people who trust that God will keep his promise. Hope you have a great day. Grace and peace.